Galatians 3, verse 1 to 14. Open the, your Bibles at Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay, well, I want you to finish this sentence, and you can actually finish it out loud. And I don't mind if you say something that I'm not thinking of. It won't make a difference. Uh, Jesus is full of love. He is. Grace. Compassion. Slow to anger. And what do I have over here? Truth. And... Faith, absolutely. So what, what I was looking for, even though all of those were absolutely 110% correct, was grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. See, in John 1, it says, and I'll read it, you don't have to turn there. Uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And then John says it again. In verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean, grace and truth? Well, they're a pair, aren't they? they, they there's tension between them, like, you know, thick and thin. There's tension. They mean the same thing. But there's also there's a complementarity between them. They're, they're complementary, like sweet and, and salty. Right, grace and truth, and so um, what, it's, what does it mean in Jesus's life and ministry? Well, in, he, in how he related to people, he was full of grace and truth. Grace, he overlooked people's flaws and sins, didn't he? But he also spoke truth. Truth, you pull someone into line. You're clear, direct, objective. So, two quick examples. 
Uh, so when, when uh, the disciples deserted, deserted Jesus on the, on, the, on the cross, they went to their room, right? Especially Peter, we read about how he deserted Jesus. And yet when Jesus rises from the dead, what does he say to Mary Magdalene? He says, don't hold on to me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers. Go instead to my brothers. And tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. He overlooks their cowardice, their cowardice and their fear, their self-preservation. But he was also full of truth. He was direct, especially with the Pharisees, but even with his own disciples. He says to Peter before he is arrested, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. Peter is deceiving himself, thinking he is greater than he is. And so Jesus is full of truth too. He's full of grace and full of truth. But why am I starting a talk on Galatians 3 by talking about Jesus being full of grace and truth? Well, simply, firstly, because we who are Christians are to be like Jesus, aren't we? That's what Christian means. That's what it was first coined to mean, little Christ. So we are to also be full of grace and truth, overlooking flaws, but also being clear and direct and objective. And if we are a church, it's a High Wycombe church, must be a community which is full of grace and truth truth okay both you need to be both um so grace having grace for each other and truth because we have the word we have a message we actually do have a message and it's a serious thing but we need to do both sometimes um sometimes churches do one well and not the other um and so sometimes if you're a uh, a church that's really committed to the truth, you can forget to be uh, have grace about you, can't you? Like you, you're, you're more into frank feedback with people, <laughs> truth-telling, you know, and toughness. Why? Well, because you have to deal with all the frank feedback that you're getting. Um, you know, and then you can... Sometimes this can lead to people feeling... You know, the heart rate goes up if they have to do something in front of people and this kind of stifles creativity and well, if you have to be tough, is that more masculine or more feminine? Well, it's masculine, isn't it? It's kind of more of a masculine vibe you've got going on. But we also need to have grace, don't we? That Realising that everyone's on a journey, right? What you see is not where we're going. You've got to give people the benefit of the doubt, you have to take into account people's background and their upbringing. You can't ex expect everyone, you can't expect of everyone what you expect of yourself. You know? So as a church, let me, let me um, encourage all of us in our various you know, church communities, this one in particular, to be full of grace and truth like Jesus. Because the passage we're coming to today is a truth-telling one. Let me tell you, not many places in Paul's letters will he, you start with that one. You foolish Galatians, right? And, but don't get the sense that Paul's just this, you know, truth, truth, truth guy. He was also full of grace. But in this situation, he needed to tell them because it was so serious. He's fired up. 
they have been fools. So let's read, uh, I think I have it here. Hey, hey, there we go. Let's read the first verse of what we're getting to. We're not going to get through the whole, the whole passage, um, but we'll un- unpack as much as, as we need to. 3 verse 1, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's cast a spell over you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, I can relate to this. Our work in Bulgaria is about pulling people from something and giving them the gospel and taking them somewhere else. So in, uh, in Bulgaria, to be uh, the, the general you know, MO is to, to think you need to do your rituals to get God's favour. If you have some bad luck, it's because you haven't been to church. A guy literally said that to me. He lost his phone and he said, I need to go to church more, right? <laughs> I went, hmm. I didn't know what to say to that. Um, uh, you know, they'll have a massive mural of Jesus on the cross in their house, right? But they'll never open the word. They don't understand what it is to have a relationship with God, a personal one in Jesus. And if you say, oh, the Bible, you know, uh, being saved... And having God's love is about grace. They'll laugh or think you're telling them a porky. It's No, it's about rules. Tell me what I need to do. When I started reading the Bible with my mate, he said, yeah, yeah, but just show me what I need to do. Like We, we started going through Mark and he's like, where's the bit where I need to know, you know how to live, be it, how to be a father, what I've got to do? Well, it's not all about what you have to do. It's about grace. So, you know, imagine if I was to to um, evangelise a, a bunch of Bulgarian people and, and, we're, and we're reading the Bible, we're singing, we're, we're learning the gospel, people are understanding, going great guns. I come back to Australia for three months and then when I come back to Bulgaria, they go, actually, I've got this feeling that, that maybe Jesus was, was, wasn't God. Maybe he was human and, you know, um, I'm not sure whether his resurrection was really bodily and, and maybe, maybe we should really be watch, reading the Watchtower rather than the Bible and go, no, guys, I told you about them, they're JWs. It's not where we're going, right? We're, this is the gospel. The, I'd, I'd be astonished. I'd be going, no, what are you doing? We talked about this. We've been through the gospel together. You understand that you have freedom in Christ and it's not about what, what you... Um, what you need to do to get your own righteousness. And it's not about listening to you know, a couple of guys in New York City, what they say. It's about the Bible, right? It's about the gospel. It's about Christ. Well, that's the same as Paul's work here, right? If you read earlier in Galatians, Paul said he was entrusted with bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, right? These are people who didn't have the Jewish Old Testament law. They, they, they didn't think like that. Right? They didn't think they had to be righteous before God by obeying the Ten Commandments and you know, having kosher salt and things like that. No, what they thought, they thought there was plenty of gods. Right? All these gods, the god of the harvest and, and Zeus and Ares. And, you know, so they would have their shrines to all these various gods. Right? And uh, they believed in, you know, the philosophers. They would follow one of the schools of philosophy, Epicureanism, Stoicism, Platonism, those, those various schools. And, um, you know, if they were educated or maybe they thought that the purpose of life was to be at harmony with your soul, as Plato did. Uh, and they had these various beliefs 
and understandings of the world. But, but Paul brought the gospel to them and he, and he said to them, no, there's one God. There's one God. He gives you the rain and the harvest and fills your hearts with joy. And he's a judge. And he's coming to judge. He's appointed someone who's coming to judge. And that person is Jesus. And there's resurrection. There's not just floating about of souls. After you die, there's actually the resurrection of the body. Right? And, and this God is a self-dying God, as we heard from the guys talking about young adults camp. He's, he's a God who, who came himself in the person of Christ to die for you. Right? If you have a look there... Um, Oh, no, we're going there in a moment. Right, and they, these guys, then, when Paul was absent, they went from uh, first century um, sort of Greek philosophy or whatever they were in, barbarianism, as Paul calls it, they come to the gospel and then he leaves. And where do they go? They, they go to Judaism? Why are they going there? You know, people at the back of the church are kind of waiting to do minor surgeries on people saying, you know, would you like to do all the things that the law says because that's the way to be righteous. Paul's going, what are you doing? We talked about this, you dummies. Have you lost your minds? Who's cast a spell over you as if you're not doing what, you know, what a normal person should do, right? And, and so well, what about in our context... Now, so I've, I've given you Bulgaria, I've given you first century, you know, um, Galatia. What about our, context, our context? Well, what are people out in the world, I'll just take this off, sorry. What do people out in the world think about this stuff? Think about heaven and God and whether they're, and whether they're right with him. Well, we've kind of got the Santa gospel, don't we? <coughs> Everyone's good. Have you ever heard of a person who got a lump of coal? I haven't. <laughs> Ever. Everyone's good. Everyone's good enough to get a gift. Everyone's good enough for God, if he exists. Right? Except murderers and pedophiles and sex offenders and people like that. We just compare ourselves to the worst possible people and everyone else is okay. Everyone's good. Right? Um, when I was... About 20 or 21 or 22, I was called in for jury duty, right? And I had to come in on a Monday morning and sit in a big room full of people. And we got called into the court and they were bringing case after case to us of these people, right? Murder case, sex offender case, pedophilia case, child pornography case. It was horrific. I thought, wow, this actually goes on every week. Like I'm just here on one Monday. Right, and I was in it, and we had to convict the guy, and it was right that he was guilty. You know, he, he got drunk, and he'd gone to another house, and he'd, he'd done something unspeakable, and we had to say, yeah, he's guilty, right? And he's, he would still be locked up now. But, but that's the, the Santa gospel. We're, we're all good except for those guys, right? But when, they, when we hear the gospel in our context... It's not, first of all, good news, is it? Depends where it lands in relation to you. Could be bad news. <laughs> Depends what side you're on. Good news, bad news, horrific news, terrific news. Because the news is that God is judge, 
right? Uh, and how do we know that everybody is on the bad side of things to start with? You know, amazing grace saved a wretch like me. How do we know we're all wretches? Well, because of what Paul has just said. If everyone's not a wretch, uh, where are we? if everyone's not a wretch, you tell me why Jesus had to come and die. Unless we're all wretches, he wouldn't have come. Because there's some people who could have got there. Right? Doesn't make any sense. For the good people, there is no reason for Jesus to die. He says, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So we are Wretches, that's the bad news of the gospel. But the good news is right there too. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Highlight that if you're going to highlight anything in your Bible. But while I was, you know, the intellectual that I was doing my reading this week on the AFL app, um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I read a story about Damien Hardwick, the coach of uh, Richmond uh, Richmond Tigers, and he during the week had been at a like um, I don't know what they call it over there VFL the VFL like a waffle game and he'd he'd leaned over the fence and yelled at the opposition I won't say it but he called them weak weak a word that starts with F and then another word he abused the other players right he abused the other players and then the media came to him about it and this is what he said. Um, because, you know, he's an AFL coach. He says, I've got to probably be judged to a higher standard. <clears throat> and I understand that what I... I understand that. What I will ask is that people remember, I am human. I'm going to make mistakes. And there's no doubt that I overstepped the mark. Right. So for the gospel of our world, that makes sense. Right? Because we're all good, except for these guys. But I'll tell you what didn't happen when I did jury duty for the sex offender. His lawyer did not step up to the microphone and say, I will ask that people remember, my client is human. He's going to make mistakes and there's no doubt he overstepped the mark. Doesn't work, does it? Doesn't work for us. It just feel like incredibly uncomfortable. But if you've read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount... There's no spectrum. Sin is sin. He says one is as bad as the other. Seed, sapling, tree. They're all going to be cast into the fire. To look, to look at a woman lustfully is to commit adultery with them. To, to hate someone is to murder them. It's all sin. We, we don't understand it because we don't have God's point of view and because we're wretches ourselves. We don't want to see it the way that God sees it. Because we're in the wrong. Right? And so, right, if we understand that, if we understand the great news and we accept Jesus, well, imagine if we then took the good news that we had of having uh, fellowship with God in Christ, that he exonerates us, that he takes our place, that we have a future, we have a life with him, we, have a, we belong to him, we're accepted by him. And imagine 
if we took that and went, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to live for a really nice car and a big house. Get my kids into the best school. With all my free time, I'm going to have fun and I'm just going to be with my family. Uh, I'm going to buy great clothes. I'm going to work on my body. I'm going, to, I'm going to spend all my time working for a holiday. I think Paul would say, you dummies. Have you lost your minds? Who's waving their wand over you? That's not what you do. That's not what you do when you've received the gospel. You live a whole new life. You've been given life for the first time. You were separated from God before that. You were the wretch. Remember when we sing Amazing Grace? Saved a wretch like me. So you've come from being a wretch to being loved. Now you go to that life. That's, that's, the, that's the Santa Gospel life. Just do whatever you want. You see it here in the, in, the very next, um, in the very next verse. He says, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard or hearing with faith? Same thing. When you believe in Jesus, when you believe the gospel, you actually receive his spirit. His spirit makes you alive. You'll see it in various places. The word spirit is very closely connected to life. We get life. Death is separation from God. Life is fellowship, relationship, belonging, acceptance with him. And having the spirit in us is so important for us Christians because he leads us. Um, now, what I've got here is my father-in-law, although he died before we were married, was a Queen Scout. And so, don't tell Evan, but we're going to give him this for his next birthday in a few days. This is a... Um, can you see what it is? It's a compass, right? So this compass, no matter... No, it, I, don't, I don't really understand this. Um, they, I, I certainly wasn't a Queen Scout. So it'll always point... I'm trying to work out where north is here. Would that be north? Okay. It will always point to north. Why? Because the north, because the north pole has something to do with magnets. Right? But anyway. So the compass will always point north. Right? Um, so, the spirit in us is like a compass. Jesus is like the North Pole. The spirit always points to Jesus. Right? To say, I follow Jesus, or to say, I'm led by the spirit, is the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just cast in different terms. The spirit points us to Jesus. Now... When we're, when we're accepted by God, we're actually free to follow the Spirit. Right? We're free to follow the Spirit. Beforehand, we couldn't. We just followed our own sinful desires, the, the way we were brought up, the, the world that we're in. We, we, maybe we could see the way, but we, we couldn't follow it. But now that we have the Spirit, we are free to follow Jesus. Right? And the Spirit leads us, doesn't he? Particularly through the Word, which he has inspired, which God has inspired through the Spirit. But the Spirit leads us. 
Christ is the North Pole and the Spirit is the compass of our heart pointing to Christ. Now, our freedom in Christ is that we don't have to follow, for these guys, Jewish laws, but instead they can do whatever is loving or kind for somebody else. See, Paul gets back there. We won't, we won't get, you know, um, right into the, you know, the, what Paul goes into here. But 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Freedom from the law is something with which we can love our brothers and sisters. So don't, don't let someone say to you, oh, my Christian freedom allows me to do this. No, that's not what it's for. It's for other people. Right? Jesus used his freedom to die for us. He didn't have to do that. That's what he used his freedom to do. Um, and so... Um, I suppose I want to uh, almost, I'm, I'm sort of wrapping up, but we've still got a little bit to go. I want to give you four brief observations about how we could be foolish. 21st century Christians, if Paul was somehow to have a view upon us, how could he go foolish, foolish Christians? What sort of things would, he, would make him say, you dummies? Now, when I said this um, sermon's called Foolish for what reason, I meant it in two ways. Foolish on what grounds? So for what purpose would he call you a fool? But also foolish for what reason? Reasons about using your, your brain, being logical, thinking ahead, consequences, following them out, right? Both of those ways we can fall into being fools. And let me tell you, I have been a fool many, 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 many times in my life. So I'm certainly not saying... This is something just in a way that you could be fools, but also that I am. So many times. I, I don't want to waste time telling you stories of how foolish I've been, but I could. So, uh, and the four are this. Dating, sport, calling, porn. Dating, sport, calling, porn. Four ways that we can be fools as Christians today. Firstly, uh, where are we? Next one, I think. Good. Dating. Right. Now, I don't know um, where you're at. I don't know where everyone is here. And that's kind of nice. I get a bit of <laughs> protection. So if I say something that really, you know, hits you right in the face, I can't be blamed. Um, so I've recently heard about a lot of Christians and young adults since I've been back in Australia, either considering or actually dating non-Christians. And you want to say, think ahead. Think ahead. You know, there's only one purpose for dating in my mind, and that's to see if you're ready for marriage, which is why my children won't be dating until they're 18 or older. And <laughs> No, but you have to think ahead, because when you date someone, the first thing is probably that you get emotionally attached and involved with them. Uh, and you or them uh, uh, will be sort of head over heels because of the amount of attention that you receive. Right? You, you, you won't be able to be as logical when you're dating someone often. Um, and so you tend to make foolish or bad decisions and you think, oh, it'll be okay. Well, what if he or what if she becomes a Christian? Yes, but what if they don't? Um, Tim Keller's wife wrote a pretty good article, I think last year, you can look it up, about this 
about people who have married uh, non-Christian uh, spouses. And one of the quotes she said from, from a lady that she'd spoken to, this lady said, if you think you're lonely before you get mar- married, it's nothing compared to how lonely you can be after you get married. Don't, don't use loneliness as, a, as an excuse for, for dating or marrying someone who hasn't met Jesus themselves, who doesn't know them himself. And so think and do the right thing by them. Don't, don't date them until they've got to know Jesus personally for themselves. Right? That's our first one, dating. We can be, we can be fools uh, in, in our dating. Sport. Oops, that's the wrong slide. Sport. Um, right. Okay, parents of young kids. I've seen this as well, coming back to Australia. It's kind of so it's something nice about coming back and getting hit in the face by things that you didn't, didn't have before or didn't see when you were away. Parents of young kids, don't start down the path of putting your kids in sport on a Sunday. Right? Think ahead. Think about it. Maybe for the first two or three years, it fits with church. Right? It goes well. But at some point, it won't. Right? Not everyone plays at exactly the same time every Sunday. That can't work. I've run, done fixtures for carnivals. You cannot do that. There's generally two soccer fields and everyone has to use the same soccer fields. Right? And you'll have to convince either a pre-teen or a young teen that church is better than playing state with all your mates. Good luck. Good luck. So unnecessary pain and conflict and potentially their faith will be avoided if you just don't start when they're little kids. You know, when I've come back to Australia, I see people I knew as strong Christians falling into this pitfall. Now they don't go to church with their kids because they've started down the sporting track. Um, yeah, they forget that their, responsi- their greatest responsibility that God has given them is to pass on to their children a knowledge and a love for Jesus, not to give them a good time. All right? Okay, number three, calling. Dating, sport, calling, porn. Calling. Right. Um, in Acts 16, Paul gets a vision. Right? Acts 16, Paul gets a vision, and it's of a man. It's a man from Macedonia, right next to Bulgaria. Right? A man from Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So God gave Paul a special message about what to do and where to go. And he did. He went there. Now, I just want to double check. Did anyone here receive a a vision of a man from High Wycombe? No? I'll double check with Roger in the session just to see if any of of them did. But if not, why are you here? If you're not specifically called by some sort of, you know, amazing vision or, you know supernatural trance or something, why are you doing it? Because that's what we do. We take the gospel out. The weird thing is that when you talk about overseas mission, everyone thinks you do need the, the, the supernatural, the crazy. Even two pastors I was speaking to recently, oh yeah, if people aren't called into overseas mission, well maybe they could just do it, you know, locally. Well, what do you mean? Like one of the most, one of the greatest stories of a successful church in, in New York, Tim Keller, he said he was often asked, 
oh, did you receive a calling for this? You know, he's doing his meetings to see whether this will work, planning, praying for years. He said, no, absolutely not. Never felt I was called by God to New York. Just thought it would work. It's what you do. You take the gospel out. And so when you're talking about overseas missions, um, yeah, people just seem to think you need to have this amazing, you know, vision or, or, or calling to go. No, you don't. Just go, is that what God would want me to do? Yes. Plant a church in Hawakim. Yes. Go to Southeast Asia. Yes. If that's what God wants you to do, he wants you to do it. You know, if someone comes to you and says, hey, would you mind joining the music team? Or, hey, would you mind leading a Bible study? Or, would you be able to have a try of doing a sermon? You know, you can say, um, yeah, let me pray about it. Or, can I have a bit of time and I'll get back to you? You can't say, hmm, don't know if I'm called to that. <laughs> Doesn't really work, does it? We just do. We are led by the Spirit. The compass of the Spirit leads us to be like Christ and to live for Christ. Australia is so poised, so privileged in overseas missions. We have good teaching. We have good education. And then we have good teaching in our churches, generally. We speak English, which, if you don't realise, is like so treasured everywhere in the world. And to speak English from a country where it's the first language, everyone wants to talk to you. They want to practise their English. We have a good reputation everywhere except Bali. Right? (laughs) And so, but we don't send many missionaries. We don't send many people overseas. Why? Maybe it's just too good here. We are the lucky country. I just think this idea of calling adds to the confusion that we don't need. Dating, sport, calling and porn. Let me, I, I didn't have to search far. I just searched the first, basically the first hit on Google for, tell, tell us the stats about porn. It says, today 68% of young adult men and 18% of women use porn at least once every week. Another 17% of men and another 30% of women use porn one to two times per month. That means for 85% of young men and nearly half of young women watching porn is at least a monthly activity. Then it says, is it any different? Is the church any different? Not by much. Pornography is prevalent everywhere today. In fact, one in eight online searches is for pornography because porn use thrives in secrecy. Many church members are trapped in a cycle of sin and shame thinking they're the only ones facing this temptation. 51% of pastors say internet pornography is a possible temptation. 50% of all Christian men and 20% of all Christian women say they are addicted to pornography. 75% of pastors do not make themselves accountable to anyone for their internet use. Regular church attenders are 26% less likely to look at porn. However, self-identified fundamentalists are 91% more likely to look at porn. Right. You've got to think. Logic. Think about it. Look at the stats. And don't think you're, you're impervious to the culture that we're in, the internet that you use. If you're a guy or a girl and you struggle with this, one, you're not alone. Two, you don't need to feel so ashamed that you can't talk to a brother or sister about it. It's a normal struggle. And three, sin loves the dark. You've got to talk to someone and have someone who asks you regularly how you're going, who keeps you accountable. Look at the stats. Be logical. It's a massive problem that's destroying lives. 
So where is the Spirit of God leading you? It's leading you into the light. Right? It's leading you into the light. Do what it takes to be free of online sin. And if you're a girl who's a bit naive about this, well, well be educated. If you have a boyfriend or a husband or a son who tells you he has a problem, try to walk with him through it, not to be in judgment. Maybe use today as an opportunity to check in on those people who you love about this. Don't be fools when it comes to porn. Um, and I'll wrap up there. I, I understand this has been a bit of a, a heavy um, talk in places, and it's not necessarily what I intended, not what, what a visiting pastor always plans, <laughs> but I did feel this is where the Lord led me as I prepared. Uh, but let me finish with the hope that we have. In 3 verse 5, where we've just been, it says, Paul says, So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by believing what you heard? What's he saying? When we believe and we have, when we have faith, he's saying God works miracles among us. Right? That's not, I don't get stunned when I hear miracles happen to Christians or to people who are asking God for something. It's not something that we go, what? It's part of it. It's part of serving a God who is powerful and who is at work. So, so this week I spoke to a guy and he said um, uh, he's just been inundated at the moment by stories of people coming to church and one lady in particular who he's you know, known for a long time at his work, he's helped her out in different ways, um, she had a crisis coming up, right? It was during COVID. Her son was having like quite a, uh, a, an operation and that he needed to have before this age and they'd been waiting for 18 months and she was just trapped herself in her house this lady and um, just so that they wouldn't get COVID so there'd be no complications anyway she started texting him and my Christian mate was texting her back a few things and then he went and dropped a book in her letterbox you might have heard of it it's a it's a really good book I haven't read it yet it's called Gentle and Lowly right so it's a different it's someone's tried to look, focus on how Jesus and, and God's character is one of being gentle and lowly, a bit like probably what you heard at young adults camp. So anyway, she starts reading this book and texting him and, and doing photos of it and saying she's just in tears all the time reading it. And one night she felt she had this incredible pain in her chest. So she, she took a pill, um, went to sleep and she woke up and the pain was gone. Now, I see that as God doing that. God took that pain away. And, and from that moment on, she has been such a passionate Christian. She came from a Roman Catholic you know, background, not a Christian before that, wouldn't have described it. But now, passionate for Jesus, wanting to tell her friends about it, going to church every week. Every week. And um, that's God working miracles among us. It's... You know, God giving us his righteousness is one of those miracles. It's not a coincidence that the very next verse says, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. To have Christ's righteousness is to belong to God, to have a new family and a church and to have a joy and passion each day for him.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gospel. Your gospel that that we so badly need. The gospel that says Jesus came, he loved us and he died for us so that we could know you, so that we could live with you forever. Help us to be full of grace and truth as our saviour is and as the spirit leads us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.